Thank you for being with us. We are back uh, in our second installment uh, with our study of the Revelation. And you can uh, find that, obviously, if you found it right now, it's live on our YouTube channel uh, most every single Wednesday. It is rare that we miss one. We've been doing this Bible study, uh, I believe, when we get to September this year, it'll be 10 years. Wow. So we are we are uh, we here in our uh, uh, our tenth year right now. So uh, and it's been uh, it's been quite the journey. So there's a lot of things we've studied. We've studied other books of the Bible. Uh, we've studied uh, commentaries uh, from uh, men who have written books uh, for men's ministry. And you can find any archive available to you one of two ways. If you ever want to go back and catch another series, and I get emails from people that are still in Genesis, uh, they're still uh, they're they're going through the Book of Acts, and you can find those by going to BurgessMinistries.com and just click on Listen. And then you'll see, uh, it'll say men's or Wednesday Bible study. I forget which one it says. Click on that, and then you can go there and find those uh, audio archives. If you want to do the video archives, you can find, find them on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. If you'll go ahead and subscribe to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, you'll get a prompt when the Bible study is live, uh, when the show's live, and, uh, and you also will be able to get back to the archive, uh, which Adler puts together for you within an hour of the live one being over. So just 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 keep that in mind. I do believe because of all of you on the archives, um, you know, this Bible study um, is brought to you by themanchurch.com. It's part of our discipleship strategy to get men into small groups and also get men into large groups, high challenge in the large groups, high equipping in the small groups. Our first ever Man Church conference is coming up this year. I, I, unless you move right now, uh, probably by the time, if you're an archive person, it's probably sold out by the time you're hearing this or watching this. Now, if you're watching live, there's probably, they said 16 tickets, but I just checked it before I walked in here and I tried to place an order for five and I couldn't get it. So it's probably down to single digits right now. So, uh, if you do want to come and you're watching this right now live, uh, I'd, I'd move now, come back, don't leave us, uh, and go ahead and get that. Uh, but, um, uh, we are excited uh, about men who are coming from all over over the country. Uh, we have groups coming from Montana. We got groups coming. We got one group trying to get here from the Bahamas. So uh, who are all doing the strategy? So that's coming up next month, and we're excited about that. But there are some man church services that you can go to this month, and uh, most of these are free. They're not even ticketed, uh, and you can go see Andrew Varvudis if you're in Opelika, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, down that way, Auburn. You can go see Andrew Varvudis, the First Baptist Opelika in Opelika, Alabama. Uh, there's debate about this, but I would feel comfortable saying if they're not, they, if they weren't the very first church to plug into our strategy, they're one of the, fir- the, the first five, uh, and they are actually getting ready for the fourth curriculum in year four, and this is their next man church, January the 19th, Andrew Varvudis from our team will be there. On January the 28th, Jordy Henson. Crestview, Florida. He'll be at First Baptist Church, Crestview. They've been with us for a couple of years as well. This is their next gathering for their men. You can take part in that. And then, of course, on the 28th, I'll be in Jackson, Alabama via video. We also have a kickoff video that we provide from themanchurch.com, and that has me there explaining the strategy and giving the men their first high-challenge message before they get into the small groups. On February the 5th, I'll be at First Baptist Church Tuscaloosa with our brother Rich Wingo, who leads the men's ministry there. Uh, This is their next man church. They're also in curriculum number three, so I'll be there for that. Uh, February the 10th, West Georgia Worship Center in Bremen, Georgia. Rich Wingo will be there. 
and then Jordy Henson at West Mobile Baptist Church on February the 11th as they continue through the strategy. And then Rich Wingo and Scott Dawson, February the 17th, they'll be at the Prove Yourself a Man 2023 conference at First Baptist Chipley in Chipley, Florida. So all that can be found at themanchurch.com. Let's pray and let's jump right in to the second installment of our study of the Revelation. Lord Jesus, thank you. Guide us. Holy Spirit, help us to discern. God the Father, thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your for your justice. Thank you for uh, you, you and your comfort. Uh, Lord, just help us as we walk through this, which can be very difficult. But let's also not make it more difficult than it actually is. Uh, because of the Holy Spirit, help us to glean from this what you have always intended and to be protected from the things you, were, you never intended. In your holy name we pray, amen. So you know the last uh, time we were together, uh, we were in uh, the Revelation chapter 1, uh, and we went all the way down. We really got, we really just pushed through and got through eight verses. So, uh, so uh, we are going to go through uh, verse 9, uh, and we're really going to get on it today because we're going to do 11 verses. Uh, all the way to to verse 20. So this is going to be slow-moving. It should be slow-moving. Uh, gave us some of the cautions last week. I won't revisit that, uh, but we'll run into some of that uh, today. So we are going to hit one of our first deals where there is disagreement uh, um, among uh, the church on exactly what uh, a part of what John is saying. The good news is it is a minor. It is not a major. It's a minor. It's just one of those things that people find interesting, but it really has nothing to do uh, with what we need to glean from the Revelation today. So let's start. Uh, now, some of people get uncomfortable if I start using the word age, but, 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 but let's not be uncomfortable with that, okay? Uh, we are currently living in the church age. This, this is the time of God's grace. This is the, the time of us awaiting uh, the return of Christ uh, to to um, uh, to once and for all eradicate all evil to start the process uh, of the refinement of the earth. So we're in the church age, which means, praise God, you still have an opportunity to be redeemed. And and uh, will there be those that will be redeemed through the tribulation? There will be, but I wouldn't sign up for that plan. Uh, so, so that this is, um, we'll, we'll talk about that because um, that that's going to be something that is our Lord and Savior said. If my father made it any longer, no one would survive it. So you don't want that, okay? You you, you don't want that. Uh, so we're going to talk about the what John is now seeing. So um, first of all, one of the things we understand about what John is being told is as we live in the church age, there's going to be some some characteristic of, of the age, and one of them is we're living in a time where we as individuals, those of us that have been redeemed, we have been called to have an individual witness. We're witnesses. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. And I've, I've said this before. I got to say it in Athens last um, uh, Sunday, this past Sunday, as they're going through the strategy. Uh, at Friendship Church, and I and I told the guys, and you could see in the room everybody agreed. If you say right now to someone that you're a Christian, it really doesn't mean a whole lot because that 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 name has been so watered down. Uh, I, I saw an article where currently in the world there's 38,000 different groups that call themselves Christians. 
Um, now, they don't call themselves what I'm going to say next. They just say Christian. Well, and remember, we learned this in our study of the book of Acts, that Christian only appears in, in the New Testament three times. Twice it's derogatory in the book of Acts. And then Peter in 1 Peter 4 says, because of this derogatory thing the mockers are saying about us that we think we're Christ-like, let's take that as a badge of honor. So let me don't hear me say something I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with identifying as a Christian. Nothing wrong with that. Peter even said, let's, let's begin to do that. But, 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 but here's the more important part, which ties to how we're going to get started. The word disciple is in the New Testament 250 times. So here's the part that has been taught in our study of Acts, but some of you are new and some of you are new, so you may need a reminder about this. So if you study the, the church of the New Testament, you will discover that, yes, there were people that, that were called Christians, but there was no one who was called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple. And where we've kind of erred a little bit, a little flaw in some of the uh, strategy of the Western church, and, and it's more prominent in the West than it is around the world, is that we'll allow you to take on the, the name Christian, and we really have not vetted you out as a disciple. And that's why you see so many people that claim to be a Christian, they don't really act like one. Uh, you don't really see much change because they haven't really been required to show any sign of transformation. But that wasn't the way it was in the beginning. Everybody who was called a Christian in the New Testament church, they were already a disciple. And what did our Lord and Savior tell us? He told us to be disciples and to make disciples. And he even said in the Great Commission, which is often uh, what, what people call the great omission that we have, is that we're supposed to teach people to obey all that he commanded. So we all know, this is just common sense from a good old boy from Calhoun County, Alabama, halfway between Atlanta and Birmingham. Our Chamber of Commerce will tell you near Birmingham, near Atlanta, near perfect. Okay, uh, So it's where you stop and go to the bathroom if you're going to Atlanta from Birmingham uh, or from Atlanta back to Birmingham uh, or Birmingham to Atlanta. So here's what you got to know. And there's nobody that can dispute this, okay? So there's no, there's no, no way you can push back on me. You and I, notice I said me, not just you. All this is about us, not you. You and I cannot teach people what we do not know. That's impossible, okay? So, so, this is, so first of all, remember that John is going to be talking about that he said, I'm an individual witness, okay? I, and if you want to watch people respond differently to you. If somebody ever asks you about your faith, you tell them you're a Christian, you're not going to get a whole lot of response. Tell them you're a disciple of Jesus. It will be a much different response, okay? Because you you just changed the whole game. Because a disciple of Jesus is a, is a much... The, the word Christian should be the same call. Don't misunderstand me. It just isn't. Because the reason why we're also more comfortable calling ourselves Christians and not disciples is because we because it also makes us feel more comfortable, and that's sad. So I really there, there's been a, and I tell you another one I don't like believer. Uh, could could we be any more mundane? Well, you know he's a believer in what? Uh, in 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 Jesus and God. Okay, so so are the demons. Demons are believers. 
I mean, I, can, can we get past that? I mean, we, are we just afraid to say I'm a follower of Christ? Are we afraid to say I'm a disciple of Jesus? That's what they were called, and, and, and that's who John is right here. And, and so he's even an apostle because he actually was with Jesus while he was in human flesh. So anyway, it, it's, uh, it's something that, that you've got to get as, 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 when you see what's going to happen next. So um, the age of individual witness is here. So look what John says, and he, he clarifies that in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Everybody hold up. Nobody panic. I would underline in the tribulation and the kingdom and the, the, the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's a, there's a lot there. That's why we're moving slow. First of all, he's not talking about the great tribulation. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the tribulation of the persecution of the church. He's on this island because of, of the persecution of the Roman emperor. That's why he's there. He's been thrown out there. Uh, and, and so John is, is not talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about the persecution of the church. And, uh, and you'll see that uh, in Acts 14.22, uh, when, when Luke uh, is interviewing Paul, Paul even says, we must go through much tribulation. Jesus Christ said in John 16, 33, I say this so that you'll have peace. In this world, there will be tribulation, but always have joy in your heart because I've overcome the world. You know, no matter what's coming against you, remember what we said the revelation was about? It was to give hope to the persecuted church as well. Don't worry, I'm coming. I'm going to resolve this. And, and so this is John just saying, I'm being persecuted with you. I'm with you in this current tribulation. This is not the great tribulation. This is the current tribulation uh, at, at the time that John is on Patmos because this was a barren volcanic island in the Aegean Sea. It was about 10 miles long. They think about five to six miles wide. Um, and, and, and the Romans, if you look at the history of the Roman Empire, for them to take somebody that either they couldn't kill in John's place or they, they didn't quite want to kill, but they just didn't want them around, they would banish you to one of these little islands. They love to do that. And you can see that throughout their history. So this is not abnormal. Uh, that, that there's even like, you know, like, like when we're accustomed to the British Empire that if the king got mad, they'd cut your head off or they'd find some accusation against you. The Romans, if it was one of their own, because there's only certain punishment you could do to fellow Romans. If it was one of their own, they'd find some reason to banish you to an island if they just didn't want you around. And uh, and so John had been uh, banished to this island, and he's not living in the lap of luxury. Don't picture he's on the island like we vacation on islands. That's that's not what's going on. He's being punished and being persecuted. And, and then he tells us, this is the part I love, and everybody in here and watching and listening, the current society you are living in, this is becoming the case. Not to the level of being banished to an island or crucified or, or beheaded or thrown to wild animals just yet or hung for, to light the streets of the Roman Empire, but, but listen to what he says. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus— 
was on the island called Patmos. Why? Don't miss this. I'm banished on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's why I'm here. Have you been persecuted for your devotion to Jesus and the word of God? You will. If, 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 if it hasn't happened and you want to be devoted to Jesus, it will happen. And, in, and, in, and it's already starting to happen that people will be canceled. Look, I just left, and don't think it's outside the church. We certainly have it outside the church, First Peter. We're in the church, Second Peter. I just went to a church this past Sunday night that in the last 30 days they left their denomination because the denomination said we can no longer use the Word of God as our standard. We must also look to the culture. We got to adapt a little bit, and 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 they had to make the decision. We're out. That's in the church, okay. So some of these things, you know, part of the revelation that he sees to to come is that one day the church will be completely apostate. Now part of that's going to be because the the true followers of Christ are gone, but but uh, but the church is is going to get to a point before Christ. Uh, uh, gives us the new Jerusalem and the new heaven where the church will be completely apostate. They, they won't be anywhere. They, the theology will be gone. And if you don't see that happening, and the thing that we got to watch for, brothers in the room and brothers and sisters around the world, here's what we got to watch for. You think it's going to be blatant. It'll be subtle. Now, before you know it, you'll all, this is blatant. But, you it, it, you know, there's the famous frog in the, in the water boiling. Be careful, and you've heard me warn in here, it, it's things like, well, I know that the theology of this song is kind of heresy, but it really is a cool song. We're kind of worshiping God in here. There's some things said about God we shouldn't say, but isn't this a great song? And then you just heard me say, we've got an entire denomination that is splitting right now. Why? Because the, 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 the people who run the denomination don't want the Bible to be the standard. And it's a very big United Methodist. That's a biggie. That's, that's not some little out in the middle of nowhere bunch. Okay? And they're having to decide. And you know what? Because in that denomination, they the, the, the denomination owns your land, owns your building. So if you won't play, then you have a financial windfall as well you're going to have to come up with. You get cut off. But 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 okay. You know, I mean, because because it's better to be and, – and that I love the guy that I talked to. He said, we took the vote, which, by the way, it was 98% to leave. Praise God for that. He said, we did lose one family. That's fine. Your, your church just got cleaner when they left. Okay, so is is that is that he said, we? I didn't even tell everybody the financial windfall. He said, I did not want that want to be the vote. I wanted the vote to be, are we devoted to Scripture or not? No matter what the consequences. That's what we're going to vote on. And to their credit, they voted to stay with the Scriptures, and then they were told of all the money they need to come up with now. You know, but, but, uh, but you know, because that, that's it. So John is saying, I am being persecuted because I'm devoted to Jesus and I'm devoted to his words. Are you willing to be the same? I want you to know, and it's not one of those things that, you know, Daniel taught us this with his, his example 
uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, it, the Scriptures tell us very, very clearly that they knew what they would and wouldn't do before they were ever in the situation. They didn't say, we'll see. Daniel knew that he would never eat the foods that were forbidden at that time for God's people. He wasn't going to do it, no matter the consequences, because there were lines that he already knew God had drawn. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they tell Nebuchadnezzar, there's no need to get the musicians and play the music. We're not going to bow to the statue of you. We already know that, King. They're respectful. Look, if you if, if, if thrown in the furnace is not bowing to your statue, we're going in the furnace. Because remember, he liked them. He was like, let me go get the musicians and y'all think about it. We don't need to think about it. And so right now, have you made that decision? Have you made that decision? Have I made that decision? And I'm going to tell you, I'm looking at you. The answer is yes, I have. I have made that decision. I will not compromise him for anybody or anything. No matter what happens to me, as long as I'm right with him, I'm good. You know, and 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 it was it goes back to that great story of the of the husband and wife, and I can't think of their names when the Russians took over, the communists took over. I wish I could remember his name and his wife because they're heroes of the faith. And you know, they're sitting in the church when the communists come in and say, We're, "Here's scripture that's not allowed anymore. This can be preached. This can't." And he's not saying anything. And his wife looks at him and says, "How much longer will you let them blaspheme our Lord and Savior?" And he looks at her and he says, if I speak up, you're not going to have a husband. And she said, I would rather not have a husband than to remain married to a coward. And he stood up, and he was put in work camps for 30 years, and she was too. They were not together for over 30 years. But, 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 they, but they knew that they couldn't let people blaspheme Jesus. Because remember what the big thing is? We know that Jesus loves us. He's proven that. So now the ball's in our court. Do we love him? Not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. So John is making that clear why he's being persecuted. And then here comes our big controversy. We don't even get nine verses in. Okay? And uh, here we go. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches uh, in Ephesus and Smyrna and to um, uh, it, it, it's Pergamum and to uh, Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. All right, so and we'll get into that. All right, so what's going on here? So we know that John's faithfulness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus had cost him. So in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and here we go. If you want to have some fun, go to all the theologians and commentators and download your email and all this. And the big, and, and this is minor, is John talking about Sunday or is he talking about the day of the Lord he's seeing the future? And on and on we go. So I'm going to present to you, there's two camps on this. There's camps that say he's talking about Sunday. He's talking about the first day of the week. He's just simply telling us that he was in the Spirit for this revelation, and it was on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and this is when he received the revelation. Others say, no way, no how. 
And, and the ones who say that he's talking about the day of the Lord, that's what we're about to see, this vision of Jesus, that he is seeing the future. Jesus as the judge, Jesus as the high priest, uh, you know, Jesus as the king, that that's a future event, even though he is in his glorified state. The ones who say that it is not Sunday, they will say the New Testament never calls it the Lord's Day. It calls it the first day of the week when they came to worship. And they say it doesn't. We didn't start calling it the Lord's Day to after we'd already read the Revelation and start calling it the Lord's Day because we think that's what John was saying. And there's nothing wrong with calling it the Lord's Day because it is. And and they say so. That's their case uh, that 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 it couldn't be that because. And then others will say, well, the the, the day was called uh, the uh, the Lord's Day, but the ones who say no, it's 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 looking ahead to the day of the Lord. They say it's never been called the Lord's Day before now. Well, I'm not going to land in either one of those camps. I'll, uh, you, you can research that, but but I will say from from reading it, researching it, and talking to multiple people who have written commentary on the Revelation, um, who I respect their opinion, uh, reading theologians that I respect the opinion. I only found one theologian that I I would really that I really really respect that says it was Sunday. All the others say it's the day of the Lord. He's he's kind of out on his own. The others who say it was Sunday, I I don't I don't know much about their credibility. But his credibility is solid. So I I'm I'm not some indictment on on him and I won't say who is what, but that's not important, but but I tend to be in the camp that this is seeing the day of the Lord because this also is a revelation that many say there's no way he saw this in one day. Uh, you know, th- th- this, this had to be over a few days that he was out at the island getting, getting the visions of all this. So it does make sense about what we're going to see next, that he is seeing the day of the Lord because he's seeing Jesus and we'll, we'll walk into the vision that he sees uh, but I will tell you there is disagreement on that, okay? Uh, but uh, but but I think that's a minor that that's not a not a major. Uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying. So, so we we've talked about um, him being shown shown a future event versus it was actually the first day of the week. Um, it, it will it will it will not be different. Um, on what we see next. So when we look at this, whether it is the first day of the week or we are seeing a future event, let's look at 10B. It says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. A loud, the loud voice, of course, is Jesus. And now think about this beautiful picture here because we know that we serve a triune God, and I know it's very complicated to 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 grasp one God, three persons, uh, and it is it is difficult. But God is bigger than our finite brains, and we need to just understand that. Let's learn all that He's revealed about Himself, and do and let's let's grab everything He's allowing us to grab. But because of us in a fallen state, and we have a finite brain, some of this He, if we could completely understand everything He's saying. He wouldn't be God. I mean, comprehending it. So we always try to do things that make us more comfortable with it, and that's all right. But just understand, we believe by faith there are three persons and there's one God. 
So in this, remember the loud voice. What you're seeing here is the fulfillment of everything in the Revelation. So this is a very similar scene to the giving of the law at Sinai. I heard a loud voice like a trumpet that's about to tell him to do what? Write it down. It's very much like Sinai, which is a kind of a beautiful point to make. And, and Jesus' commandment to him was, write this book. Write what you see. He's going to give this command to John, the numbers in the Bible, 12 times, 12 tribes of Israel. 12 times he's going to be told, write it down. Write this down. Write what I'm saying. Write what you're seeing. Write it down. And he's being told that right now. Uh, so, And then don't forget, when he's writing this down, he's writing it down because this revelation is going to be sent to these seven churches that he's telling them to send it to. Now, these seven churches were chosen because one of the, if you just want to go common sense, these seven were chosen, and we'll get deeper on the seven churches next uh, week, but the reason why these particular churches, these, these areas are chosen is because they're key cities in, in, in this tiny part of Asia Minor that we're looking at. Remember, it's about the size of Pennsylvania where, where these churches are, and they're not even the only churches there. So they're representative of types of churches as well. Remember, there is symbolism in the Revelation as well because symbolism doesn't change with how we change phrasing. But these are also, these seven were postal districts in Asia Minor, and, and so a messenger could simply start in the order of these churches and he could just deliver them, bam, 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 bam. And the way it all works out and the way the island was set up, this would get it to all of them. And then these seven, of course, would then get it to anybody else who didn't have it. It's almost like a, the great circular road. Each church uh, would have gotten a copy of the Revelation, and it would be very easy for the messenger to do that. So then he lists the churches. Again, we're going to find out more as we go forward. Do these represent? Just these individual individual churches that existed, yes. Is it more than that? Also, yes. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, and I don't want to get ahead, I, I, I believe and many others believe that right now the church that you attend in America is the church at Laodicea. Uh, it, it, it sounds an awful lot like it. So, yes, it were, these were actual churches, but they represent types of churches. Okay? So hang on to that. So then in, in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, this is all important, and with a golden sash important around his chest. So let, let's take a look at what's happening here. So first of all, we, we see the seven golden lampstands. This right now is not going to be complicated. That represents the seven churches. That's, that's straightforward. That's, that's what he's seeing. Jesus standing among the churches should be comforting to us because he's standing among the churches and is still standing among the church today, those that are in, in step with him. And, and we'll get to Laodicea, and you'll see that he's not inside every church now, but he is standing among the churches, moving among them, fulfilling the promise that he said to the apostles. What did he say? 
my presence will always be with the church. I'll always be with you. And John is seeing that he's standing there in these seven lampstands. That's the representation of the church. And he's standing among them, and he is in their presence. Now, he's clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. So what does this mean? Well, the long robe signifies Christ in his glory as the high priest. That's what high priests wore. They, they wore long robes. Uh, the writer of Hebrews lays this out. Uh, if you want to make a note, because we don't really have time, I don't want to miss what's coming next. If you'll make a note to go back today and read Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, you're going to see this vision there of the high priest. And he's talking about we have a different high priest in Jesus because he has suffered with us. He knows what we've been through. We have a high priest that actually can can show mercy on us. He can be, he can show empathy for us. And uh, and then the sash is going to confirm the high priest vision because uh, in the Old Testament the high priest wore a sash just like this. And you'll see this in Exodus. Write this down: Exodus twenty eight four and Leviticus sixteen four. So what is he what's the significance of our high priest standing among the churches he's making intercession for us Remember this is supposed to be a revelation that comforts John that comforts the church that's being persecuted and he's showing John I'm with you I I'm I'm interceding for you I, you have a high priest in me I am the ultimate high priest Now let's move into what John saw next the hairs of his head were white, like white wool. I'd underline that. Like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Ooh. This is not baby Jesus, is it? So another thing to look at, Look at Daniel's vision uh, of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7.13. Okay? So you're going to see Daniel is going to be speaking of his uh, dignity as a patriarch. Uh, and, and, but the difference here is, you know, the, what the Bible talks about, gray hair. W- watch this. The gray hair that he sees Jesus having now, that's not by age because he's eternal. He's not aged into some old man, you know, the big man upstairs and all that garbage. What he's seeing is that he's showing that there is no wisdom that exceeds Jesus. He is full of wisdom. And don't miss the white like wool. He's the lamb of God. Okay? But he has he has wisdom and his character is perfect. What John is seeing is perfection. He sees perfect wisdom. He sees perfect integrity. He sees perfect character. And then it says his eyes were were a flame of fire. And let me tell you what that, that signifies. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, you've experienced it through his spirit. What this means is these eyes cut through everything. We, by Jesus, are fully seen. There's nothing in our lives he doesn't see. There's no sin 
our, our area of our life that is an idol to us that we hide from him. His eyes are like a flame. He looks into our lives and he sees everything. It, 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 is, it is like he, we will be fully seen. And I love this analogy, and I can't remember. It might have been John Phillips, who's one of the commentaries I read. Um, or, or, he said, the tears that once wept when, when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, that once wept when he cried over Jerusalem, those same eyes are now omniscient flames looking to the church. Ooh, I love that. You know, see, he's not the suffering servant anymore either. He's not crying anymore, okay? He's now taking that perfect knowledge and clarity, and he's coming through his church, and he's going to weed out all impurity. Remember what the Apostle Paul said when we studied 1 Corinthians? Not very popular, not very popular today. When we had the man that was in open sin in the congregation of the church, and Paul said to the Corinthians, I know y'all think y'all are being so gracious by letting this go on and not confronting him about this. And Paul said, I wish I could be there. I wish I could get there. If I could get there, I would personally throw him out of the church. I would walk him out of the church, and I would throw him out of the church to what? To protect the purity of the body, church discipline. And then he said, I love him so much I would do it. Two reasons you do church discipline. It's not fun. It's nauseating. And be sure you got your facts right. That's why you follow the, the, what we're told in Matthew 18 to follow those steps. But it's almost like the church doesn't have courage anymore to purify itself because we care more about being seen and applauded by people than we do the, about keeping his church pure. One of the most unpopular things that, that we said when we started the man church uh, at, uh, at at the church that I was at for 20 years. In the first service, we'd had some open sin that had been revealed with a lot of men of the church, and I said from Scripture, supporting it with Scripture, honestly, our church would be better off right now if we threw some of y'all out tonight. We'd be better off. And you'd be better off, because like, like he says what? Because when you turn them over to Satan, it may be that they actually get uh, repent. But as long as we keep coming in and saving the day, what do they got to repent for? They don't suffer any consequences. We let them to stay in the church, keep singing in the choir, keep playing on the stage, keep doing the video announcements, keep coming to Sunday school, or whatever you call it. And, and, and Paul says we're not to judge the lost. That's God that does that. But we are supposed to judge, judge the church. And he's saying right now I'm looking at my church, and you're going to see this when we get to the end, and I'm going to purify it. Because the church wins, and it will be pure, and it will be an unblemished bride when he comes to get it. Amen? And, and again, sometimes the lack of church discipline, honestly, is it's a little bit, if you think about it, that in, the, in the middle of all that, there's just a little bit of self-worship. It's, it, you know, we just want things to go well. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And really, that just means we don't love the person and we don't love his church. Now, there's a way to do it. You don't do it to bring glory to yourself or to be sanctimonious or, or you look so good by making somebody else look bad. It's not that. And we're not talking about stumbles either. 
But we are talking about defiant sin where someone says, I disagree with Scripture, and I'm going to openly blaspheme, blaspheme Scripture, and I want to remain in this church body. The Bible says no. No. We're not talking about you going through a rough time. That's not what we're talking about. We'll walk with you. We'll help you. We're talking about I defiantly stand here and say the Bible's wrong about these things, and I want to remain right here. And I'm going to live out that blasphemy right in front of you, not as a stumble, but a lifestyle, and I'm staying. That's not Scripture. And uh, and this is another vision of that. So the next thing we see is his feet. These feet, look at that, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. These are the same feet that once carried a cross down the Via Dolorosa, suffering, dragging that cross. But now they are a brass that shall tread and crush the Antichrist and Satan himself. I ain't dragging a cross anymore. My feet are for stomping now. They've been refined by the furnace. I've been, I've been and stood and presented myself as redemption. And hey, Antichrist, and hey, Satan, I'm coming for you. Your days are numbered. Praise his holy name. Don't be afraid of, like I say, do not be afraid of people or things that God has to allow to exist. For our said it, don't quit worrying about people that God keeps has to allow them to breathe. Quit worrying about what the government's going to do to you. Quit worrying about what's going to happen. These people are pawns, and, and, and God is laying it out. It is not out of control. It is under his control. And just have faith and rest in the peace of who he is. And if you've been redeemed, that's who you belong to. That's who I belong to. What did I say last week? We win. And we should be concerned that we don't have people we love that are going to be enemies of God on this day. And I love this, his voice like the roaring of a thunderous river. Now let me tell you what we need to take away from that right there. We need to make sure that that thunderous voice, you ever heard water really rolling? When you see these things in God's creation, they scare you a little bit, don't they? They do me. I think to myself, you ever seen water roaring so loud and you thought, if I just step off in that for just a second, I'm gone. There's nothing I can do against that water. You ever seen water just come through and destroy places when it's rolling downhill? This is what he hears like his voice, like a roaring river out of control or water roaring. What we don't want to hear that voice say is depart from me. We want that voice to say, well done. If you're going to hear something loud from the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, may it be well done. Not depart from me. I never knew you. You're a scam. Matthew 25, 41 talks about that. When he says, I'll say to those, depart from me into the everlasting fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you. I've offered you redemption, but you'll go with them if you reject it. May that roaring voice say what we want it to say. And then we look in his hand. In his right hand, he held seven stars 
from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So when you, when you look at his hand, the stars here, and this is, this is where it starts to get a little deep, the stars, he, the seven stars here, you're saying, well, I thought, I thought the churches were seven lampstands. They are. The seven stars is that he's holding in every single church, wherever it is, the leadership, the shepherd, the pastor, the elders. I hold them in my hand. They are under my authority, the leaders of the church. And he, he is holding those in his hand. And it says, the, the, these are, you're going to see this, we get into two, you go, we get into two, Rick, it's saying it's an angel. These are not angelic beings. That, that's an analogy. These are, these are messengers or ministers of the churches, and you're going to see that. He holds them in his hands. If they are false, he will destroy them. If they are true and loyal, then no one can harm them. They'll be vetted out by Jesus. Just picture, you know, just his strength is so mighty that he holds us who claim that we're leaders in his church. He holds us in his hand. That omniscient flame is burning through us, and he's going to say, I see falseness, and we're gone. I see integrity, and we're protected. This is the vision that he sees. And then he talks about that he, um, the, in his mouth. Now, we've heard the word of God be referred to as a two-edged sword. Certainly true. Certainly true. Um, but this that we're talking about right now and what he sees is really coming from, coming from his mouth. This sword really represents the spirit. This signifies, signifies his protection of his church and his people and the destruction of his enemies. Remember, he is the Word of God, okay? And this is showing you that he has the ability coming from his mouth. And the reason why you need to make a note of that, when we get to the end, this final battle, it doesn't last very long. We're all sitting there with him, and we think we're ready to go to war. He just walks out and speaks it, and they're dead. It's over. We don't even get in the action, really. Okay? I mean, he, he is going to wipe out his enemies just with his voice. And, and he's saying this is how insignificant any opposition to me will be. And he, and, and he is showing John, I will protect my church. I will destroy all the enemies of the church. Next, his countenance the countenance that he has. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. His glory. I think about looking ahead and we get to the end, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. What does it say? We don't need lights anymore. He's the light. He provides all the light we need. Never again we need the sun and the moon or electricity. We, the, everything's going to be illuminated by his glory. What an incredible visual. His glory is supposed to be flowing through his church. His glory. In too many places right now, you walk into them, and you, you start listening to some of the songs, you listen to some of the messages, 
And if you're not careful, you'll start thinking that God worships us. Be careful of that now. That's subtle, but it's dangerous. We don't worship. He didn't worship us. We worship him. Careful little phrases like, you didn't want heaven without me. Heaven was prepared for us, but there's nowhere that it says that he's not going to do it if Rick doesn't make it. Who are we to tell God that he, he said he didn't really want to have heaven without us? He prepared a place for us. That's accurate. That he's not going to go through with it if some of us aren't there, that's not accurate. Guys, you go back to our study of Genesis. At one time, he was perfectly okay with eight. Everybody else was gone. He doesn't need me or you to make him more glorious or more wonderful. We are in desperate need of him. He is, in, he is not in desperate need of us. Does he love us? Yes. Does he approve of us? That's the real question. That's the real question. You really could say for those he's approved of, redeemed, he will protect. For those that have rejected him and blaspheme him and rebel against him, he will destroy. He can't help it. He's holy. And he's provided the way out, and only he could provide it because it had to be something he did. So we we see this, and look at this beautiful moment next in 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I bet. I bet that's true, John. John is dramatically altered. Fear that is devastating. And you see this all throughout Scripture. John at the Transfiguration, six decades earlier in Matthew 17, 6, write that down. What did he say? I fell like a dead man when I saw the Transfiguration. Daniel, what did he say? I had no strength left in me. I lost the color in my face. I passed out, and I fell into a deep sleep on my face. That's in Daniel 10, 8, and also chapter 8, 17. When we say that again, Daniel 10, 8, in uh, chapter 8, 17, you know the book of Daniel is important to understand Revelation. Isaiah said when he saw him, what? Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. Ezekiel several times said, I fell on my face when I saw him. Job says, before I'd heard of you, now through my suffering, after I've seen your resume, I see you and I despise myself. And I repent in ashes and dust. The late Adrian Rogers, who is in the presence of the Lord now, He said so many people talk about all these things when they see Jesus. He said it wouldn't surprise me if we spent a thousand years on our face just crying holy. 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 Paul and his companions on the road to Damascus, when they saw Jesus, they fell on their face and it blinded Paul. 
Wow. What a moment. But then the fear that hits John is devastating. But what happens next? Oh, man. I hope I can get through this. But he laid his right hand on me. And here's what Jesus said. Fear not. Let that resonate. Lord, I've seen you and I'm terrified. Fear not. Took his hand. Again, that grace. And put it on John's shoulder. Saying, it's all right. I know this is scary. But it's good. It's good. I'm the first and the last. And the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forever. I have the keys to death in Hades. You know what he's saying to John? Don't forget what I did. The terror that you have is why I had to die. You remember being my disciple? Well, guess who has the keys to Hades and death? Your Lord. You're one of mine. All of this you see is for you. It's for my church. It's for mine who I've redeemed. The good news is I'm not here to tell you, oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen. I know you're terrified. Who knows what's going to happen? No, you know what he's saying? What I'm showing you is I'm the one that's going to decide whether you're going to live or die. And I say you live. Fear not. I say you live. You're redeemed. Don't forget that I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I died, and behold, I'm alive. I've defeated your sin. I've defeated your eternal death. The Father gave me the keys to life and death. Don't be afraid. You're with me. And then what does he say next in 19? Write, therefore, these things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Think about that moment. And this is one thing you may not have seen so clearly, and I didn't either. It took me a while working on it. Application. Okay, guys. Y'all studying the Revelation. Maybe you haven't seen me be revealed like this, or it's been a while. You're under conviction. You may be afraid. That's all right. That's fine. Repent. Get right with me. But then what's the next thing? Get to work. Get back to work. You're in awe of me. That's right. You should be. What does the Church of Acts say? They were continually in awe of God. I think we've lost that. I worry that a lot of Western churches, not all, there's some that that are certainly in awe of God. And I'm glad they exist all over the world. But if you're in a church that's lost its all of God, maybe you should be part of the movement to restore that or leave. And he says, so now that you're in the proper place and you're in awe of me as you should be, you fear me like you should be, I've reassured you that you're redeemed. Now don't just stay up here on the mountain 
in the moment until I return, go back to work. Write it down. Get this to the churches. You have work to do, John. That's why I haven't let anybody kill you yet. And then what does he say he's supposed to write down? Write down the things that you've seen in this vision. Write down the things that are the messages for the church that now exist. And then I want you to write down the things that are supposed to come after this. And what does he mean by that? After the period of the church. I'm going to show you, too, what's going to happen when the church is over and I'll return for the bride. Those things are coming. As for the mystery, and I like this, then John goes, oh, let me clear what the seven stars were. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, Jesus explains this, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, but remember, that does not stand for angelic creatures. Uh, It stands for the elders and the leaders of the church, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Do you appreciate that from Jesus? By the way, if you don't know what these stars and lampstands are, I need to tell you real quick. That's after you gave him a fear not. It's like he went back and said, no, let, me, let me cover this thing about the lampstands and the stars. And that's where we'll stop today. What a beautiful, beautiful vision we see. Are y'all thankful that John was obedient and got this to us? Yeah, I am too. Did y'all know we were going to get it anyway? If John had not decided he would carry through. Remember, God's will is not something that you have to do. It doesn't even have to be something that you want to do. God's will is something that we get to do because he will fulfill it with or without you and me, I promise you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this vision today. Wow. Uh, Thank you for the the presence, you can just feel you in this room. You really can. And I'm sure those that may be watching and listening, uh, that this may be a, a, an encounter today with you, realizing that we've seen you in your glory. I pray, Lord, that uh, if those that are watching and listening or even men in this room, uh, if they, if, if we sense uh, things in our life we need to repent of, that we will. You, you said that we repent, and you said if our heart is sincere and, and, and that, that we believe in our heart and we confess that you're our Lord, we leave our own authority, Lord. Will you please mold us into things that you're more comfortable with, and will you forgive us for constantly trying to, constantly trying to make you into something that we're more comfortable with? Forgive us for our idolatry. For, forgive us for worship of self. And thank you for correcting us and reminding us that our worship should be of you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.